Hello everybody, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am beginning Luke chapter 23 in this audio. I'm going to cover the first five verses of Luke 23, which discuss Jesus before Pilate the first time. There were two phases of the trial of Jesus. The first phase was before the Jews in Annas' house, in Caiaphas' house, and then before the Sanhedrin in the temple. That has now been finished. Jesus has been bound over from the Sanhedrin after they formally condemned him, and they sent him to Pilate to ask the Romans to carry out the sentence on Jesus. And so Pilate is hearing Jesus for the first time here. He's going to then take Jesus and send him to Herod Antipas, who was in town for the festival. And then Herod Antipas is going to send Jesus back to Pilate a second time. So these three instances, before Pilate twice and before Herod Antipas once in the middle, these three instances constitute the Roman phase of Jesus' trial. And we're beginning that in this audio. I've already discussed Jesus before Pilate the first time in my discussion of Mark 15, verses 1 through 5. So I'm going to splice that discussion in here. And that splice begins now. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I'm in Mark chapter 15 now. We're going to take up the first phase of Jesus' trial before the Roman government. He has been bound and carried from the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. He was then legally, I, should, I, I use that word in an advised sense here, he was sentenced before the Sanhedrin when the Sanhedrin, instead of meeting in a rump session in, at the, in the middle of the night in Caiaphas' house, met probably in the temple in their normal meeting place, and then they condemned Jesus again. Then they bound him from there, probably in the temple, and they bound him over to Pilate's, Pilate's Praetorium, which was in Herod's palace on the west side of the city, not too far from the temple. Now, this, in this Roman trial, Jesus is going to appear before Pilate, and then Pilate's going to send Jesus to Herod Antipas, and then Herod Antipas is going to send Jesus back to Pilate again. So we'll have to say this is the first phase of the Jewish of the Roman trial, and it's the first time of the two times that Jesus appeared before Pilate. Now the story is given in four different gospels. I'm going to have to bounce from one gospel to the next. We'll start in John 18, starting in verses verses 28. John 18:28 reads this way, Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas, that's the high priest, the current high priest's house. They took Jesus from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. That's the Holman Christian Study Bible translation. I like praetorium better. The Greek is praetorion, I think it is. But praetorium is a, is a straighter translation. The English translations come up with all kinds of different translations. But it was the governor's headquarters. Pontius Pilate normally operated out of Caesarea on the coast but it's about 40 miles away, I think it was. But he was in Jerusalem to help maintain order because this was Passover. There's about 150,000 pilgrims in the city, so he wanted to keep his eye on things, so he's in Jerusalem. He stayed in Herod's palace. That's where the Praetorium was. Praetorium was a, a Roman military term. It's where the general's tent was or where the, the, the Roman governor governor's headquarters were. So governor's headquarters is actually a pretty good translation, but that's where he was. And Caiaphas's house was in the city. So they took Jesus, and there's a detail in Mark chapter 15, verse 1, that says Jesus was bound. So they tied him up like a common criminal, and they carried him to Pontius Pilate's headquarters in the Praetorium in Herod's palace. Continuing with John 18:28, it was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves, otherwise they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. 
early morning. Remember, the sun had just come up. That made it legal for the Sanhedrin to meet, so say 6, 7 o'clock in the morning. Now, when they went to Pontius Pilate at the Praetorium, they didn't go inside because Jews could not go into a Gentile's house without being defiled, and if they were defiled, they couldn't eat the Passover. Now, this a, a question arises here. If you recall, the Passover was eaten last night, Thursday night. This is now Friday morning. So why would it say they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover since the Passover is already over? Now, I found an interesting comment from Jameson Fawcett Brown who say this, quote, These are questions which have occasioned immense research and learned treatises, but as the usages of the Jews appear to have somewhat varied at different times, and our present knowledge of them is not sufficient to clear up all difficulties, they are among the very, not very important questions which probably will never be entirely solved. Well, I think that's just a little bit pessimistic. The NIV Study Bible has the answer. As you recall in previous audio, I've mentioned this several times, is that the Jews referred to Passover and the seven-day Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which was attached right behind Passover, those eight days. They referred to that in shorthand as Passover, or sometimes they referred to it as Unleavened Bread. So you have to take the, the two festivals, not in a legal mosaic sense, but in a popular sense, the way people actually use the language, and it was one entire festival, and there were lots of meals that were going to be eaten during that Feast of Unleavened Bread, and if they were defiled by going into Pontius Pilate's house, they couldn't do that. So, that explains that almost insoluble question. Now, Pontius Pilate was very tolerant of the Jews' tradition. He didn't give them a hard time. He came out of the Praetorium and stood outside and talked to them, as we'll, as we'll find out in just a minute. We'll read this in John 18, verses 29 through 30. Then Pilate came out to them and said, What charge do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Now, as I said, Pontius Pilate, in an act of condescension, act gladly left the praetorium to go outside. That was in, in accord with Roman policy, as Adam Clark points out, because the Romans had confirmed to the Jews the free use of all their rites and ceremonies. And of course they did that because they didn't want civil unrest. So Pilate really had no choice but to acquiesce in their request and to come outside. So, I mean, it sounds like he was tolerant and gracious, but actually he was sort of under compulsion. He, there was a near riot going. People were so upset, people screaming and hollering for Jesus' death. He, he had to go out there. He, he was trying to put a lid on this situation. So when Pilate asked, what charge do you bring against this man? This was a normal question that you ask at the beginning of a trial, and so Pilate did this. And we'll see through this that Pilate was a very objective judge. He, unlike the Sanhedrin, which was a kangaroo court, Pilate tried to follow Roman procedure. Now, when he asked, what is the charge, the Jews had a very hard time answering it. They had no charge that would stand up in a Roman court of law. And as we go on, we'll see what they said, what they tried to do, but it was just a joke. There were no charges, and Pilate knew it. And we'll see that, too, as we go through. By the way, most of the discussion of the Roman aspect of Jesus' trial is in John. John hardly said anything about the Jewish aspects of the trial before Annas, the former high priest, and before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. He doesn't say that much about it, but John says a lot about the Roman trial, a lot more than Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. John Gill says of Pontius Pilate he was equitable, just, and impartial. Of course, he later ended up handing Jesus over to be murdered, basically, so... I'm not saying Pilate was a moral hero, but he was at least acting like a judge. He was acting judicially. Now, when he came out to see 
the Jews who had Jesus bound up like a criminal, where did he go out to? Well, the place was called the pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. We know this. This is only mentioned one time in the scriptures in the next chapter in John, John 19, when Pilate heard these words. This is in the second aspect, when Jesus was brought back before Pilate a second time, which we're not going to talk about in this audio. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. He sat down on the judge's bench in a place called the stone pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. They haven't located this place. The archaeologists haven't. I checked on Wikipedia. But it's just a flat piece of stone with a bench on it called stone pavement. So that's where he's probably outside talking to the Jews now. John Gill says of the Jews' attitude that the Jews were offended, filled with indignation, haughty, and insolent. You're darn right they were. I mean, what's the charge? Hey, if he wasn't a criminal, we wouldn't have brought him to you. I mean, how asinine, how arrogant that could be. I mean, that really will stand up in a court of law. Hey, he's guilty because we said he was. We don't need to bring facts. We don't need to bring evidence. All they were looking for was for Pilate to carry out the sentence of death. They weren't looking for Pilate to try the case. They just said, he's guilty, Pilate, kill him. That's what they were saying. Now let's turn to Luke chapter 23, verse 2. This one verse tells us what charges that they actually brought before Pontius Pilate. At first they said, if he wasn't a criminal, we wouldn't have brought him to you. But I guess they realized that Pilate wasn't going to take that. So here's what they said in Luke 23, verse 2. They began to accuse him, Jesus, saying, We found this man subverting our nation, opposing payment of taxes to Caesar, and arguing and saying that he himself is the Messiah, a king. Well, now, let's look at those charges. But before we do that, let's look at the group of people who came together, standing with Jesus outside of Pilate's, on Pilate's pavements, on Gabbatha, outside of the Praetorium. John Gill says that that crowd most, was, quote, most prob- it, it is most probable that the chief priests, elders, scribes, and captains of the temple, together with their servants, dependents, and other persons hired for the purpose, those were the people that were there. So it's a mob, and basically a lynch mob. Big shots as well as rabble, probably. People hired. I don't know how Gill knows this. He's just speculating. And their servants. So it was sort of an intimidating situation before the Roman governor and all these people are screaming and yelling about Jesus. Now, let's look at these charges. First of all, as the NIV Study Bible points out, they were a lie. In verse 2, he says, we found him subverting our nation. Oh, really? When did Jesus ever subvert the Jewish nation? Or the, I'm not sure whether he meant the Roman nation or the Jewish nation. When did he ever subvert it? When did he ever say he was going to take over? When did he ever say he was going to be in charge? Well, now, of course, the Jews thought that because by the fact that the people were trying to make him the Messiah, the king, that that's what they were thinking. But Jesus never said that. He never once said that he was going to subvert the kingdom. And as far as, and if he's talking about subverting our nation, referring to the Romans, he had said, render unto Caesar what is due to Caesar, which doesn't sound like subversion to me. Pilate paid absolutely no attention to these malicious charges because it it was well known. Jesus' teaching was well known that he wasn't trying to set himself up as a king. Now, as far as opposing paying taxes to Caesar as they charged Jesus in front of Pilate, Matthew 22, 21, it gives a quote that proves that Jesus never said that. He said to them, therefore, give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. I mean, how much clearer can you be? Now, as far as him trying to be a king, this was a half-truth. He was a king, but his kingdom was not of the world. Now, when we go back to John, when, when, when Pontius Pilate goes back into the praetorium to ask Jesus 
more precisely about the charges, about him being a king, Jesus is going to explain to him, that kingdom's not of this world. So these charges that he's trying to make himself up a king is a half-truth, and a half-truth is good as a lie, because Jesus never was trying. He never was trying to set up a political kingdom. Let's read some, well, let's read the passage in advance here in John 18:36 when Jesus is talking to Pilate. He said, My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom does not have its origin here. So Pilate is going to find out in a minute that Jesus was not trying to set up a political kingdom. And how many times has he hidden himself from the people who were trying to make himself a king? Here's just one example in John 6:15. Therefore, when Jesus knew that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Several times during his Galilean ministry, the people were going crazy. He, he, he hid from them. He went to the desert. In fact, he completely left Galilee. He left Israel and went to Tyre and Sidon, then went to Decapolis, the Gentile areas, so specifically for the purpose that the people would not make him a king. So the Jews had no evidence at all. So we move back to John 18 to take up the narrative again, starting in verse 31. So Pilate told them, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. You see, Pilate knew that the Jews had no charge that would hold up in a Roman court of law. He says, okay, you worried about you got yourself a Jewish Messiah. Well, you, you deal with that. But you don't have anything to accuse him before me. Now, of course, all this goes to show that Jesus was innocent. Well, that's why Pilate washed his hands. He knew he was innocent. Everybody knew he was innocent. Even Pilate's wife had a dream that he was innocent. The Jewish leaders lynched Jesus. They judicially murdered him. And all of the evidence points to that. Basically, Pilate is saying, look, you don't have a Roman charge. You don't have a Roman trial. So you take him and judge him according to your religious law. The Jews responded, it's not legal for us to put anyone to death, the Jews declared. You see, they didn't want to just put Jesus in jail. They wanted to kill him. The Jews had no authority to carry out capital sentences, as the NIV Study Bible says. And the reason that the Romans would not allow them to do that is because the Jews could trump up charges against Jewish supporters of the Roman government and kill them, and then there would be a revolt. So they couldn't do that. But every now and then, the Romans would condone local legal executions. For example, Stephen in Acts, first part of Acts, chapter 7, I believe it is, he was killed by the Jews, capitally executed. And the Romans did allow Herod the Great to do some capital executions, but Herod the Great's dead now. So when the Jews said, hey, it's not legal for us to put anyone to death, they were right. And it's, it's clear here, it also shows their attitude. We want to put him to death. We don't want to try him to find out the facts, whether he's actually guilty of these charges. We want to put him to death. Now, when they said this, verse 32, they said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, signifying what kind of death he was going to die and what kind of death he was referring to a crucifixion death. Now, there's a verse, and I've lost it. I don't have it in front of me, but there's a verse where Jesus predicted to his disciples in one of the Gospels, I'm going to go down to Jerusalem and be crucified. He actually used the word crucified. That is a Roman form of execution. And the Jews executed by stoning. So when, when the Jews said, we can't put anyone to death, the implication there is that the logical that what what logically follows from that is that the Romans are going to have to put him to death and the Romans crucify. And so that verse where Jesus said that he was going to be crucified was fulfilled because the Romans did it because the Jews couldn't do it. And in fact, there's a verse in John 12 verses 32 through 33. This is during the triumphal entry the week before Palm Sunday. 
Jesus says this, As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to signify what kind of death he was about to die. What kind of death? A crucifixion death, because Romans lifted you up to put you up on a cross. The Jews would put you at the bottom of a cliff so they could drop stones off the cliff to kill you. That's not being lifted up. So the lifted up is the particular kind of death that Jesus was going to die. He predicted it the week before, and the Jews confirmed this by saying, we can't do it, we can't stone him, so you Jews are going to have to crucify him. So you Romans are going to have to crucify him. Now, what was the tone of voice when Pilate told them, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law? Was it ironic, knowing full well the Jews couldn't execute anyone, and so Pilate is kind of waving it in their face? Pilate was not happy with these Jews, not happy at all. You can see this all through the, his interaction with them. He did not want to execute an innocent man. On the other hand, he didn't want to riot either. And who was responsible for all this? The Jews, the Jewish leaders. They were trying to railroad an innocent man, and they were also getting ready to start riots. So he was not happy with them. You recall that incident when they asked Pilate not to put on the over Jesus' head the placard that says, this is the king of the Jews. He said, no, put up one, a placard that says that he said he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, uh-uh, he'd had it with him. So he wasn't happy. Now, it could be, though, that Pilate was actually serious, saying, look, you're going to have to judge him according to your law because you don't have any charges that are that will stand up under the Roman law. He could have said it to him straight. I tend to think he was being a little bit ironic about it. But at any rate, we go now to John 18, verses 33. Then Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Now remember, Jesus is is in is inside has been taken inside inside the uh, praetorium. I didn't mention this. In John 18, verse 28, it says they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium. So while the Jews were out there ranting and raving and trying to come up with some charges against Jesus, Jesus is, is inside the praetorium on the inside. So Pilate went back into the headquarters, John 18, verse 33, and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Now we turn to Matthew 27, verse 11, one verse to take up the story. Verse 11, Matthew 27, now Jesus stood before the governor. Now remember, they're inside the praetorium now, away from the, the Jewish rabble outside. Now Jesus stood before the governor, are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him, Jesus answered, you have said it. Now when it says you have said it, you said it, just like in English. That means, yes, I agree with you. I'm the king of the Jews. Now, we're going to see here, and we're going to go back to John and say there was a lot of discussion between Jesus and Pilate about this charge of being the king of the Jews. We'll hit that in just a minute. Let's point out a little detail here. Jesus is standing. Now, remember, he's been up all night. He's been beaten. He's been mocked. He's been spit upon by the Jews in Caiaphas' house. He hasn't slept all night, and he's standing. It was the custom for the Roman officials, the judges, to sit while the prisoners stood. And Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Because this was the one charge of the Jews that might have stood up. That, and that charge would make Jesus' offenses, alleged offenses, political in nature. Now, not paying taxes to Caesar would also be a charge. But Jesus had clearly said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. But making himself a king, you know, he walked into the city and the crowds are crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, the king of Israel, you know. So that at least was a halfway colorable charge. But if you really knew Jesus' ministry, as we've said, he was constantly saying, trying to keep from being proclaimed king of the Jews until the very end there. 
So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Now Jesus respond, responded, you have said it. The NIV makes it clear. They say it translates it as yes, it is as you say. And that's much better. I, don't, I wish the, the, English language, the English translations would not be so literal when they say yes, you said it. It's better to say yes, it is as you say. Yes, yes, you're right. I am the king of the Jews. So Jesus admitted it. But now he's got to explain what kind of king he is, which he'll, he'll tell Pontius Pilate when we go back to John. But before we do that, let's go to Luke chapter 23, verse 3. So Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, you have said it. The same thing we read in Matthew. All right, that doesn't really add anything to the story, so I will skip Luke Let's go back to John chapter 18, verse 34. Jesus answered, Are you asking this on your own, or have others told you about me? So now, instead of just saying, Yes, I am the king of the Jews, Matthew, Mark, and Luke just kind of condense it all and say in, into one word, Yes, I am. One phrase, Yes, I am. But now we see that what actually there was more detail that happened here. Jesus, first of all, he says, Are you asking this on your own, or have others told you about me? Now, why did Jesus ask Pilate, why, are you asking this yourself or does other people tell you about me? What he was doing was he was asking for clarification so that he could answer Pontius Pilate properly. This according to the NIV Study Bible and Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. If the question was coming from Pilate, Pilate would be asking, are you really trying to say you're the, a political king of the Jews? Are you really a political rebel? Now, that would interest Pilate, see, because that would mean... Jesus would be under his jurisdiction because Pilate is supposed to snuff out political rebellions. But now, if it's the question of the Jews, are you really trying to be a religious king of the Jews? Well, that's none of my business, Pilate would think. I don't care about that. But at any rate, Jesus was trying to show how weak Pilate's position was. In any case, if Pilate was saying that Jesus was king of the Jews, where was Pilate's evidence? If he condemned him as saying that he was a political, trying to lead a political revolution against the Romans, where's his evidence? If he executed Jesus with no evidence, it would show that Pilate was acting out of haste and imprudence, as John Gill says. But now, if Pilate was trying to believe that Jesus was trying to make himself king of the Jews in a religious sense, and therefore he should be sympathetic to the Jews, how stupid the charge was that Jesus was king of the Jews. Many Jews had tried to make him a temporal king, and he refused, as I've already pointed out, as John Gill points out. He had said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. So he, he, and he looked like a beaten-up criminal. He didn't look like king of the Jews. So it didn't matter whether Jesus was trying to be a political leader or a religious leader. He, he wasn't a king in either sense. What he was a king, he was the spiritual king. His kingdom was not of this world. Now, the reason Pilate asked that question, of course, was as we showed in Luke, the charges that the Jews brought before Pilate was, we found this man subverting our nation. This is in Luke 23, verse 2. We found this man subverting our nation, opposing payment of taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is the Messiah, a king. So the king part is what, what prompted Jesus, Jesus, Pontius Pilate to ask Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Because he's a Roman government. And he's not supposed to, a Roman governor, he's not supposed to allow sedition. So we go on in John 18, verse 35. Now Jesus had asked Pilate, did other people tell you about me being a king? The other people that Jesus was, was referring to, of course, was the Jews. And Pilate responds in John 18, 35. I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied. Now, this is a little bit puzzling. Why would Pilate respond that way? 
I think it's because by Jesus suggesting that the Jews were claiming him to be a king and Jesus hinting that he's going to reply to the Jewish charge of him being a king, Pilate is saying, look, I don't care about the Jewish conceptions of a king. I don't care about that. I'm not a Jew. I don't understand your customs. You're a Messiah. I don't understand that. Remember the, in, Luke, in the Luke parallel, the Jews accuse Jesus of being a Messiah. Use the word Christos. Use the word Messiah. And Pilate is saying, I don't know what that means. But he says, I do know this. Your own nation and chief priest handed you over to me. What have you done? Now, I, I'm trying to read between the lines here. I think that what Pilate is saying, look, I don't care about your Jewish conceptions of Messiah and all of that. But I am concerned, have you done something that will subvert the Roman government? I am concerned about that. So you tell me, what have you done? What have you done to offend these Jews out here? They're asking for your head and and... If I can find out that you've just offended them religiously, well, then I'm going to let you go, basically. But if it turns out that you've done something to offend the Roman government, I'm not going to let you go. I think that's what's going through Peter's, through Pilate's head. Pilate knows that the Jews have been offended religiously, but he is suspecting that they are accusing Jesus of political treason. And I think that's exactly what the Jews are trying to do, because they knew they couldn't get Pilate to adjudicate a religious question. Let me give you a quote from Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. Quote, Thou art here on a charge which, though it seems only Jewish, may yet involve treasonable matter. As they state it, I cannot decide the point. Tell me then, what procedure of thine has brought thee into this position? Which is basically old-fashioned King James English to say what I just said. It seems that this is a Jewish problem, but it might involve some treason against the Roman government. I can't tell from what they're saying. You tell me, so I can find out. What did you do that might make you guilty before the Roman law? Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown conclude by saying in modern phrasing, Pilate's object in this question was merely to determine the relevancy of the charge. In other words, are you the king of the Jews? How relevant is that to my position as a Roman government? And Pilate points out to Jesus, look, your own nation is coming after you. You're Jewish, they're Jewish. They're not biased against you because you're Roman, you're Jewish. So why are they so upset with you? It makes it look pretty certain that you're guilty of something and... It's not only Jews that are charging you, it's the chief priest of the Jews, the most important people in the nation. They aren't likely to trump up a charge and make up something. So what is it that you've done to cause such an uproar? We go to verse 36 in John 18. My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. Ah, now Jesus makes it clear to Pilate that, no, I'm not trying to overthrow the Roman government. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. Now think about it. Did Jesus have an army? He didn't even have a police force. He had nothing. His disciples had a couple swords. My servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to, to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom does not have its origin here. He, here he was, beaten up, spit upon, staggering from weakness and sleeplessness. He said, look, I'm not a king. I'm not trying to take over the Roman government. And it's true that his kingdom was not of this world. If his kingdom were of this world, it would be just. And a just kingdom would not have railroaded Jesus to death like the judicial system did back then. Now let's make a little comment here. My kingdom is not of this world. That means not of the origin or nature of this world. My kingdom doesn't come from this world and its characteristics are not the same as the characteristics of the kingdom of the world. That is not the same thing as saying that people in Jesus' kingdom don't care about things in this world. You know, there's been lots of monks, lots of people retreating from the responsibilities of daily life and I can understand why, how bad things can get to be in this country and in this world that 
people start retreating, start getting sort of monastic. Christians start acting this way. Can't do that. We've got to care about this world because if it weren't for Christians being salt and light, the world will become a perfectly hellish place. It's bad enough as it is, but it will be a lot worse, a lot worse. All right, so when Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, he admits he's a king, but he also clarifies and qualifies his kingship by saying, well, I'm a king, but not in this world. And Pilate, you're interested in this world. I'm interested in the other world. Going on to verse 37, you are a king then, in John chapter 18, you are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And I think Jesus is implying, look, you'd know I was a king if you were concerned about the spiritual kingdom that I represent. And when he says, you say that I'm a king, that's the same way as saying, yes, I'm a king. Now, Jesus, therefore, admits, yes, I'm a king, but I'm not a king in this world. And you should be listening to me, Pilate. I think he's trying to witness to him right there. If you were of the truth, you would listen to my voice. Testify and truth are two of John's Gospel's biggest themes. As according to the NIV Study Bible, John really is concerned about witness. He uses witness all the time. Here's John 1.7. John the Baptist came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. John 1.14. The Word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 14.6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Truth, testimony. Of course, that's what courts of law are supposed to find out, right? They're supposed to get testimony and find out the truth. Well, here's the testimony and here's the truth. Jesus is the king of a kingdom that's not in this world. We move on to John 18, verse 38. What is truth, said Pilate? Oh, truth was standing right in front of his eyes and he says, what is truth? In other words, he didn't listen to Jesus. He was only concerned about his grubby judicial duties. He's probably being a little frustrated, too, because on a, on a more mundane level, he was having trouble finding out what the truth was. And that's what a fact finder is in a judicial proceeding. That's what, he's, that's what his job is, to find out what the truth is. What are the facts? You can't make a legal judgment until you know what the facts are. And Pilate is having a heck of a time figuring out what the truth was. So he goes out again to the Jews. This is on the gabath of the, the pavement, leaving. And, and by the way, this time... We know when we go back to the parallels that he took Jesus out with him. So this time he didn't go out alone to the Jews. This time he brought Jesus with him out to the Jews. He points and he says, he has Jesus right there and he says, I found no grounds for charging him. Of course, of course there was no grounds for charging him. Let's go back before he did that and let's look at this, this phrase of, Jesus, of Pilate, what is truth? Here's some options as to what he meant. The NIV study Bible says, well, maybe Pilate was just jesting. Huh. What is truth? What does truth matter in this situation? I don't care about truth. I just want to get out of this jam. I don't think that's what he meant. Could be Pilate was serious, saying, it's not easy to find the truth. What is it? And as I just mentioned, he was having trouble himself finding the truth. That's another option according to the NIV Study Bible. Here's the option from Adam Clark. Pilate was mocking. He was saying he had no hopes of ever finding the truth. Truth? Ha! Huh, that'll, that'll be the day. I don't know. That's sort of an enigmatic phrase that Pilate used. But I think, thinking about it, I think that what he's saying is, I'm having trouble finding the truth here, and I'll never find the truth ultimately. And he's just kind of irritated and disgusted and says, truth, what's truth? I'll never find it. I think that's what he's saying. But whatever Pilate meant, he knew that Jesus was no political rubble because he said, I find no grounds to charge this man. 
Now, as a result of finding no grounds to charge this man, you couple that with the fact that Pontius Pilate handed Jesus uh, Jesus over to be crucified to the Roman to the Roman soldiers. That means Pilate was guilty of judicial murder. He knew that Jesus was innocent and still had him executed. That's judicial murder, and there's no other murder that's worse than that because it's a corruption of the legal process. He was trying to save his sorry self from his Roman bosses, even though he tried to free Jesus all the way up until the end. When push came to shove, he executed an innocent man to save his job. And, of course, we know that Pilate eventually committed suicide. He was removed from his office, I think it was 35 A.D., in a couple years, if my memory serves me correctly, but he, was ex- he, was, uh, he committed suicide. Probably feeling guilty about this sad aspect of his judicial career. Now we can turn back to Matthew 27, verse 12, and we'll find out a few other details about this time when Pilate had Jesus out there in front of the Jews again, after Pilate said, I find no crime in him. Verse 12, and while he, Jesus, was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he didn't answer. So when Pilate brings Jesus back out, the Jews unload on him again, accusing him of all their stuff. What kind of crimes did they accuse him of? Well, he was a perverter of the perverter of the people. He was a stirrer of sedition, discord, and rebellion. He was a tax evader. He wanted to set himself up as a king. We can get all that from Luke 23:2. This is at a previous time when they were alone before Pilate. The first time they showed up, and Pilate's outside, and Jesus is inside the praetorium. Luke 23:2. They began to accuse him, saying, "We found this man subverting our nation, opposing payment of taxes to Caesar." and saying that he himself is the Messiah, a king. So we can, from that, deduce that they repeated the same charge while Jesus is standing there with Pilate. Now, Jesus didn't answer. Now, he told Pilate, Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus had gone into a long, not a long disquisition, but a, a long explanation of how he was a king, and yes, he was a king, and so forth and so on. But now, when the Jews are accusing Jesus, he stands there mute and doesn't answer. Why? according to John Gill, because he knew the charges were ridiculous and not worthy of an answer. Plus, he knew that all the people in Israel knew they were were ridiculous. So what's the point in answering? Because he knew that when he successfully answered these charges, they would invent new ones. Because come hell or high water, they were bent on destroying Jesus. So what's the point? In front of a kangaroo court, there's no point in answering back. Adam Clark says he knew the charges were contradictory and self-refuting. Now, I was thinking about that. I, I can't really see how they're contradictory. I don't know how they're self-refuting, but I do know they were wrong. <laughs> they, 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 were not, they could not be supported in Pilate's court of law. Now, let's go to Mark 15, verse 3 and 4. Verses 3 and 4 and 5 to pick up another interesting detail of this scene where the Jews are accusing Jesus standing there with Pilate. Mark 15, verse 3, And the chief priest began to accuse him of many things. Verse 4, Then Pilate questioned him again, Are you not answering anything? Now that part's not in the other parallels here that where Pilate says, Are you not answering anything? Are you, aren't you going to say anything? You see, Pilate wanted Jesus to answer because under Roman law, if a defendant gave no answer, the judge had to pronounce him guilty, according to my NLV study Bible. And Jesus is not answering. That means Pilate's going to have to pronounce him guilty. And as we can, as we see, as we can see very easily, Pilate did not want to pronounce him guilty because he wasn't guilty. He didn't want to railroad an innocent man. And that's all. Now, Jesus is not cooperating. He's, he's standing there and not answering the charges against him, which he could have done. But he was going to 
he knew it was no good. It was a can They were just going to scream and holler some more. There was going to be riots. And he, and he knew that he had to die in order to fulfill prophecy to bear the sins of the world. And notice that Pilate marveled. He was amazed. Amazed, marveled greatly, he says in Matthew. How can a man stand there, be accused of all these things? He's obviously innocent. He's just told me he was innocent. And he just stands there and takes it. I'm sure if Pilate had never seen anything quite like this. And I'm sure that he had no idea that his name would be known throughout all of Western history for the next 2,000 plus years. Now let's turn back to Luke chapter 23 verse 5 as we finish up this first phase of the Roman trial. A few little details here. Luke 23 verse 5, but they kept insisting he stirs up the people teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee where he started even to hear. Judea could mean the southern part of Israel or it could mean the whole part of Israel. The term sometimes is ambiguous, but the point is everywhere. And of course what they're trying to do is to make it look like the political threat is great to try to get Pilate to take this case on as a case of political insurrection. But he had just told them I, in verse 4, Luke 23, I find no grounds for charging this man. Innocent. All right, so here we have Pilate in a conundrum. He knows he's innocent. He knows Jesus is innocent, but he's got a, a rabid bunch of Jews who are intent on killing him. He wants political peace. So what is he going to do? He's going to turn the thing over, turn the case over to Herod Antipas, who is the ruler of Galilee, the Roman ruler in the northern district of Galilee. Pilate was head of the procurator of the Roman procurator of Judea, and just north of Judea, Samaria, Pilate had jurisdiction there, and just south of Judea, Idumea, he had jurisdiction there. He did not have jurisdiction over Galilee, but Herod Antipas was in town, and so Pilate thought he might like to get some help from his fellow Roman official. All right, I have now returned from my splice discussing Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, and that finishes my discussion of Luke 23, verses 1 through 5 which cover the four Gospels discussion of Jesus before Pilate the first time. I hope you enjoyed this audio. In the next audio, we're going to look at Jesus before Herod Antipas. See you next time. <laughs>